Good morning. Happy Sabbath to you all. If you were a type of person who didn't like to drink warm water, lukewarm water, and you had a bottle of water in your hand that was warm or lukewarm, and somehow you knew that I was nearby, all you would have to do is take that bottle of warm water, put it in my hand, and remind me that I have to prepare a sermon real soon, and real quickly you'd have cold water. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, I ask that you be with us today. I ask that you um, help me in any way you can to project uh, your message that you're giving and, uh, and that you bless us the rest of the Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, the devil's been beating on me all week. Uh, how does he do that? Well, he likes to make you think that, that you're in charge. And once he gets you to believe that, then he gives you all sorts of doubts about whether or not you can do these things. <clears throat> so you start, you know, forgetting about the Lord and uh, forget about asking for help. And uh, Andrew, I don't know how you did that, but the special music you picked out today goes right along with the sermon. And we're going to talk today about the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? You know, when I first heard that, I kind of struggled with it a little bit. There's something that, that Jesus can't... Uh, can't pardon or can't forgive. And so uh, we're going to talk about that today. <clears throat> so what is pardoning? Well, we have a few words. I punched in a search, and Wikipedia is always a trusty source for some things and explanations. Well, one term you might be familiar with is commutation. What is commutation? When somebody's sentence is commuted. So, for example, if you're giving a sentence to serve 10 years, for doing something, and you would only serve two, they would commute your sentence, it'd be commuted from here to there, and you essentially would be finished right then and there at the two years instead of the full ten, ten years. So an, an associated term is commutation, meaning the lessening of the penalty of the crime without being give, forgiven the crime itself. So they lessen the penalty, but the crime is not forgiven. About a reprieve. A reprieve is the temporary postponement of a punishment. So you'll serve the punishment, which is put off a ways. A pardon is the forgiveness of a crime and the penalty associated with it. It is granted by a head of state, such as a monarch or president, and get this, it goes on to say, or by a competent church authority. I'd like to know who that is. Uh, but a head of state, such as a monarch or a president. And then clemency is a general term that kind of encompasses all these things. Today, pardons are granted, and by the way, you're familiar with the term lame duck? So when you have a president, I'm not a political scientist, but they reach a term towards the end of their presidency where they're considered a lame duck because you know, there are transitional things going on. There's not much they can do or pass anymore. And um, what did they say or what were they sure that George W. Bush was going to do just before leaving office? Anybody tell me? Pardon Cheney. <laughs> just kidding. No, he wasn't going to pardon Mr. Dick Cheney. But uh, speaking of people like that, um, former presidents and whatnot, I, I stumbled across an email. Actually, I think my mother sent it to me. Did any of, of you gotten, get an email that was titled, Why Did the Chicken Cross the Road? Anybody get that one? Well, I'll, I'll read it to you. It kind of doesn't really relate, but we were just talking about presidents and things. So, 
Well, the question was, why did the chicken cross the road? You know that old joke. And they had a list of people, uh, politicians, celebrities of different sorts, and, and what their responses might be. And I'll just go through a couple of them. Barack Obama's response to why did the chicken cross the road? He said, the chicken crossed the road because it was time for change. The chicken wanted change. <laughs> Bill Clinton was fierce in stating, I did not cross the road with that chicken. <laughs> Al Gore was quick to remind us that he invented the chicken. Grandpa said, in my day, we didn't ask why the chicken crossed the road. Somebody told us the chicken crossed the road, and that was good enough. Albert Einstein thought carefully, and he responded, did the chicken really cross the road, or did the road move beneath the chicken? And last, Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken replied, did I miss one? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> So today, pardons are granted in many countries when individuals have demonstrated that they have fulfilled their debt to society. Pardons are granted in many countries when individuals have demonstrated that they have fulfilled their debt to society. And it kind of made me think of community service and things of that nature, but it immediately sparked a memory in my mind. Um, a few years ago, I had the privilege of staying with a couple in Nebraska. <clears throat> uh, very brilliant. Uh, both of them, I think, are involved in uh, lab research work at a university, and um, anyway, we were spending some time with, uh, Brad was his name, and we were just talking about some general life things, pretty light conversation, and uh, he said, you know, one of my goals is that before I die, I want to feel that I gave back one more thing to this world than I took. And I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, of course, as, as calculated as I can be sometimes, I started thinking, well, man, is that possible? You know, I think back to when I was a kid, all the birthdays and Christmases and things of that nature. I'm like, oh boy, imagine paying all that back plus one. And all the times where people flock to help you with things <clears throat> and having to go back and do that for uh, other people plus one. But it's kind of a neat thing to live by, you know, um, in everyday life. As you look around, you kind of look through the, the glasses of Jesus, so to speak, and look through the eyes of Jesus. And, and as you see people, what, what can I do for that person? Can, can I just say hi to them? Can can they be touched in some way? Can I help them with something? Picking something up, moving something, shoveling. We've had a lot of that lately, haven't we? It could help lots of people shovel, right? <clears throat> Wisconsin provides that opportunity for us. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting. But um, So we kind of talked a little bit about pardoning. Uh, what are some times where the Lord did forgive sins, either in direct or indirect ways? Uh, how about David? What he did to the... Uriah the Hittite. He, I mean, David took the guy's wife and his life. And we go to uh, 2 Samuel. You can go there if you want. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And Nathan um, begins to tell David a story. I'm going to tell you how this unfolds. Um, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, this is Nathan talking to David now, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and he grew it up with him and his children. Um, he grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb from the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
Now David, listening to this story, verse 5, he burned with anger as the man, as, um, I'm sorry, he burned with anger against that man, the rich man, and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, that's you. You're that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says, and he, he goes on to talk about what, what, David had, what David had done in verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You skip down to verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. How did he know that? Nathan didn't go back and talk to the Lord at all when he said that. Right off the cuff. And we can deduce that it's because David had essentially confessed right then and there. It's a sin that he's, re- he's willing to acknowledge. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And because he did that, Nathan was able to reply, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. How about the disciple Peter? We kind of see how Peter slowly started falling away and how he ended up sinning against Jesus himself. In Matthew 16, 22, Jesus predicts his own death, and Peter says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He basically rebukes Jesus' words, and Jesus says, How do you reply? Get behind me, Satan. In Matthew 26, 33, 35, Jesus predicts that Peter will disown him, and Peter rejects Christ's words again. Peter replied that he never would do that. Then Peter began to fall on his walk in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. Jesus goes to pray, and he asks the disciples to keep watch. They fall asleep, and Jesus addresses Peter about watching and praying so as to not fall in temptation. And, of course, Peter falls asleep again, and uh, Jesus becomes a little disturbed about that. Then Peter began to fall a little further. Jesus got arrested in Matthew chapter 26, verse 58. Jesus, Jesus was arrested and taken to the courtyard of the high priest, and it says specifically that Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance. He ended up following at a distance and joined the guards back at the gate and fellowshiped with them instead. And he later went on to deny Jesus as he talked and fellowshiped with them, whether or not he knew him. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75, Peter hears that, the, the three crows of the rooster. And he runs away and he wept bitterly. He acknowledged his sin. He didn't shun it. He, he acknowledged it, and he, he embraced the fact that, yes, he did it. He wept. And later on, John 21, we find out that, you know, Peter and Jesus talk, and Peter reassures his love for Jesus, and we see that he's forgiven as well. How about the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? That's a popular one. There's a couple of things I discovered in this story that I never really noticed before. That's John chapter 4. And... Uh, Many of you know the story. Jesus is at the well, and a Samaritan woman comes on. Jesus being a Jew and her a Samaritan. In their culture, they didn't typically talk. In fact, it was kind of like prohibited, so to speak. You, you, just, you, don't, you don't talk to one another. And she came up, and, and Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And she replies, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I'll get this. She just came right out and answered, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Just started right off. Jesus replies, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, 
and, would have given, and he would have given you living water. Now, there's two things that I realized about this story that I hadn't before. One of them is kind of trivial. The other one is less trivial. But catch this. After he speaks and says that to her, in verse 11, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And she continues on. Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And he continues on. In verse 15, she replies again, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Then Jesus replied, Go call, go call your husband and, and uh, go call your husband and come back. And then she just replies, I have no husband. Jesus replied, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have just said to me is quite true. Then, when she recognizes again who she's talking to, she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and she continues on. But I thought it was interesting how she starts out when she was just a Samaritan woman. He was a Jew, and that's all she saw. She just spoke to him. Once he began to speak about God and she kind of got a feeling for who he was, she started with, sir. He says, go call your husband. She dropped the sir part. That was enough of that. And then he, he talks to her and makes her realize that he is, you know, he's a prophet of types. And she replies again with, sir. Just something I caught in a quick study I was doing in that story. But one other thing I didn't really notice, to me this story was always a relationship thing and how Jesus reached across the party lines, so to speak, right? But in verse 13... He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I gave him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what does the woman do? She asks right away, sir, give me this water so that, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Before he just lets her do that or would give that to her, it's the first thing he asks her to do. Indirectly, he's asking her to repent, isn't he? Go call your husband and come back. Getting her in an indirect way to, to draw out of her the fact that, you're right, she does not have a husband. In fact, she had several, and it continues on. I never caught that part of the story. I thought this was about reaching out, and here there's another side of it, and I believe that's, uh, I believe that's what was going on there. So she essentially confessed to him, that yes, he was right. And then he continued talking to her and she ran into the town to, to tell all the people about Jesus. Pretty cool stuff. The things you can dig out of a story, no matter how many times you read it, there's always one more bit in there for you. But when does Jesus talk about something that is not forgiven? Talk about sins that are forgivable. And eventually you'll find out, without going through them all right now, that all sins are forgivable. So how can there be an unpardonable sin? Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Well, even that's forgiven. You can speak against the Son of Man, and it will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? We've got to be careful of that, because uh, apparently if you do that, that is unpardonable. And certainly we don't want to be lost. We don't want to commit a sin that cannot be, cannot be pardoned. John chapter 16 and 13 to 15, when the spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. So why is it important to have this? Well, obviously that is, Jesus has explained there, that's going to be his mode of communication to us. And if we lose that mode of communication, we lose that relationship, it's pretty dangerous. It's possible for us to fall away and never come back. So why is it important that we have this? We can turn to John chapter 15, verse 5. When I was going through our experience in God's study, that was one of the memory verses there. John 15, 5, and he explains the importance of this. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So that is why it's important for us to not speak against the Holy Spirit, not to reject it. We need it in us so that we abide in him and he in us, and that through us he can provide much fruit. So we understand then later in Psalms 51.11, we just talked about David. And David cries out, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. David pleaded with God not to take the Holy Spirit away from him because he knew if the Holy Spirit left him, he was doomed from that moment. He knew that only, <clears throat> that only the Holy Spirit could lead him to repentance and restoration. And he trembled at the thought of becoming deaf to his voice. The most tragic thing that can happen to any person is for God to have turned away and left him alone. How about Exodus chapter 9, verse 12? The Bible says that, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That doesn't seem fair. When we hear that, we, we feel as though that God actually hardened someone's heart, which caused him to reject the Holy Spirit permanently, therefore committing the unpardonable sin. See, the Holy Spirit leads with all, the Holy Spirit pleads with all people just as the sun shines upon everyone and everything. The same sun that hardens clay also melts wax. The Holy Spirit also has a different effect upon our hearts depending on how we relate to his pleadings. Pharaoh's response actually hardened with his own heart by resisting the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also speaks of God hardening his heart because God's Holy Spirit kept pleading with Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh kept rejecting it, he caused his own heart to become hardened further and further until he couldn't hear him anymore. Since Pharaoh kept resisting, his heart hardened as the sun hardens clay. Had Pharaoh listened, his heart would have softened as the sun softens wax. I felt better when I read that, because I'd always read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and, and I had a problem with that. But you see, you look into it a little bit, and you start to unfold some of these things, and you understand what it is you're looking at. How about Christ's disciples, Judas and Peter? Judas and Peter demonstrated the same principle. Both had sinned grievously. One had betrayed, and the other one denied Jesus. Which is worse? Who can tell? Well, it doesn't matter. Is either one worse than the other? The same warm Holy Spirit pleaded with both. Judas rejected, and his heart became like stone. Peter, on the other hand, was receptive to the Spirit, and his heart melted. He was truly repentant and later became one of the greatest preachers in the apostolic church. 
So why can't this be forgiven? In the end, you have to ask the question, why can't this be forgiven? We've studied about a God. We've studied about Jesus. We've studied about a person who forgives everything. Everlasting love. Everlasting everything. He's, there's no end. No end to his depth. No end to how beautiful he is. How tolerant. And we find that we serve a God who is a loving God, not a forceful God. So if we choose to turn away from him, he's bound by his own law of love that he cannot reach and pull you back without you wanting to first. And of course, if we fall away from God, it leads to death and destruction in the end, which is the punishment, which of course he also cannot pardon because he couldn't get you back to begin with because you rejected such. The definition we read earlier of pardoning continues. Some believe that accepting such a pardon implicitly constitutes an admission of guilt. In other words, by accepting a pardon, saying, okay, you're excused from your crime and your punishment, that by accepting that, you're saying, okay, I did commit a crime, and therefore pardons in some cases are rejected because it would admit guilt, and that hurts too much to do that. So in some cases, the offer is refused. Friends, I ask that you spend time as often as you can. You know, I was meeting with a group, and uh, I had set a goal um, that for the following week, I would spend 15 minutes of uninterrupted time with God. You think I could do it? I mean, you think I could do it? <laughs> oh, you're up front, you're speaking, you got a sermon all put together. You probably did 20 minutes a day. Now. I ended up making a goal for the following week. Let's try five. Think I could do it? I kind of pulled it off. A few minutes here and there. See, my conversations in my mind continue with God throughout the day. But I wanted time where I would sit in a room, in a chair, uninterrupted, just spending time with God and really getting in sync and really feeling the Holy Spirit speak. But I encourage you, and as the reason for the Sabbath, see, God... He knew, he set, a, set aside this, this, this time as an appointment with us. That no matter how busy we get, he set aside a day where it's forbidden to work and do business and all these things that we would worry about so we can spend that time with him. But you know, even on Sabbath, we spend some time that's worthwhile. It's very positive. We do Bible studies. You know, we visit people and things of this nature, and, and that's all very good, but don't lose tune with the Holy Spirit. You can still do good deeds and start losing touch with him very slowly. When we studied Peter, you saw what happened there. Boy, he was, he was the closest to, to Jesus, wasn't he? And slowly he fell away. He didn't even know until that rooster crowed, and all of a sudden he just, he was in shock. David, look all that he had done. And it took a guy to, to come to him and tell him a, a story, and he's like, well, a guy ought to die. That guy's you. He didn't know it. He didn't even realize until he was told, and right then and there, what did he say? I have sinned against the Lord. So friends, I ask today that you look to spend time each day Break it down to small goals. Just get that time in there. And don't fall away. Don't commit that unpardonable sin and forever be lost from Jesus. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's a precious, beautiful word that every time we read it over, we get some new, something different. Today, Father, I ask that you bless those who are here and not here, who couldn't make it for various reasons. Father, I ask that you put your blessing especially on, on visitors, people returning, 
and even members who feel that they maybe have fallen from you. And I ask that you guide us closely and you stay in our lives and help us recognize when we are falling away for it happens so subtly. Thank you for all the ways that you bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.